Hey everyone, Michael here with another Grayscale Gorilla Podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by professional colorist Jeremy Stewart. We are going to take a deep dive, technical nerdery here, where we talk about all things aces. Uh, we're going to get into color workflows and how that works through the entire pipeline, not just 3D. Now, if you don't know anything about aces, I highly recommend checking out our Why Cinema 4D Artists Should Care About Aces YouTube video that we just released. It's a super helpful video that gives you an overview of the entire process and honestly it's a little easier to understand than just an audio only podcast so links to that video below and let's get on with the episode hey render friends before we jump into today's episode if you are a freelancer or working in cinema 40 for a living and you're feeling stuck maybe you want to make better renders and not quite sure what's missing or if you can't quite get what's in your head out into your renders we can help we have created the best pro training series and hand crafted material collections for Cinema 4D, Redshift, Arnold, Octane, and more over at Grayscale Gorilla Plus. Just head on over to grayscalegorilla.com slash plus to learn more. And if you use the special offer code RENDERTIME during checkout, you get one month free off your first annual membership to plus. That's the code R-E-N-D-E-R-T-I-M-E during checkout to get your first month free on us. Go check it out today. And now on with today's show. Welcome to the podcast, Michael Marr. How you doing, buddy? I am doing swell. And we've got another special guest, a good friend of mine. I've uh, known him forever, and he is a fantastic artist and a fantastic colorist. Jeremy Stewart, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing real well. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, man. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time, and I think we finally have a subject that makes perfect sense to to bring us together and and talk about color and specifically we're going to talk a lot about aces because i don't know it was about maybe two weeks ago i was on my uh youtube feed and i came across um some stuff on aces particularly a video by uh andrew lebrov talking about aces as a real you know, kind of regards to like fusion and resolve and AE, not necessarily a lot of 3D explanation in there, but it kind of got my brain going pretty hardcore about what it was. And I went on a solid week and a half bender, I would say, of like trying to figure out what the hell it is and how it works and what's it about and should I care and, and all these things. So I thought it'd be fun to get the three of us together, um, and, and discuss this. And, and Mike, you, you, you have a unique perspective on it too, because in my research, when I was looking up aces and trying to figure out what it was and whatnot, I came across an article that came, uh, after a Google search and I was looking at this article and a name caught my eye in the byline and it was your name. That's right. You wrote this article on aces and you're sitting under my nose the whole time. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm that secret weapon nobody knows about. Yeah, dude. I was like, wait, I know this guy. I can ask him some questions. Why do I know that name? I know. This guy sounds familiar. Oh, well, I'll just file it away. I think that's kind of become my de facto uh, internet profile picture too. So people tend to tend to hunt me down pretty easily across sites now. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the same one I think you use on, on our site too, right? Yeah. I mean, you get married one time, you got a good photographer, you really kind of milk that photo. <laughs> <laughs> the only time you pay for your photo to be taken. <laughs> right. Get your, get your money's worth. Anyway, so um, 
I've, I've assembled this group to talk about ACEs and how it relates to motion design. And we're going to be putting out some ACEs content uh, on Grayscale Gorilla Plus and hopefully shed some light on this crazy subject that is very complicated. But I think at its core, it's it's doing some really no, no, I can't even say it's doing simple things. It's doing things that aren't complicated to you, but are complicated underneath the surface. Does that sound right? I it's don't making know. some complicated things less complicated. Exactly. See, I'm making it more complicated right now just by like it's just a standardization. Like that's right. really what it is. Okay. And so well, rewind. Tell us. Tell us what it is, Mike. Like tell everybody. The, the the Wikipedia definition of ACES. Uh, sure. So ACES actually stands for Academy Color Encoding System, and it's essentially built by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, AMPAs. They're the ones who do the Oscars and all that kind of stuff. So essentially, there were enough major motion pictures being produced where, you know, when you have massive films, you have all sorts of different footage going to different places. You've got VFX houses, you've got editing houses, you've got production houses, all sorts of stuff, all sending data back and forth to each other. And essentially there was never an established like standard for color. And so whether people are shooting in logs or, you know, using LUTs on set to preview stuff, it might look one way on set. And then they send log footage to an editor and they might throw a LUT on it and it looks different. And then they send it to a colorist and then a colorist change it. And so like essentially color is always changing. And this is really prevalent to anyone. If you ever watch old movies on DVD and Blu-ray and VHS, you'll always notice that color has always been changing. So like it's it's been an issue for a long time. What ACES was built for was to streamline the entire process to set standards from everything from capture all the way to archiving, remastering, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's like it's a full future proof process. Right. Um, and so what you guys are specifically talking about uh, with, with Grayscale Gorilla is ACES CG, which is kind of like how VFX artists and motion designers and essentially 3D artists, it's the color space that they're kind of working in. And right. what's nice is that you can now create uh, in your world and share that information with somebody else. And all the data is there. So no matter what extremes you want to take the color to or the exposure or anything like that, all the data is there for you to manipulate. And so it just gives you a really big working area. I think, I think that kind of covers it. Yeah, that, that pretty much covers it. And I feel like I need to call out um, a specific resource that really enlightened me on the subject. Uh, it's an online book by a gentleman by the name of uh, Chris Brehan. I hope I'm saying that right. He's got a whole book on CG cinematography that he uh, put out for free, uh, which is crazy because there's a lot, just a lot of info here. He's got a whole chapter on ACEs, which helped me tremendously. But yeah, getting back to what you're saying, Mike, it, it, what it is, is it's a, it's a way to work in color, in different color spaces and manage all these different resources, these different spaces, these different colors, captures. Also, it's a very wide color gamut, right? Yeah, it's designed to represent all the colors that the human eye can see, which 
is intended to make it future-proof, essentially, as color spaces improve and gamuts widen, HDR and all of that going into the future. So my question when I started working with this was like, well, I, I don't understand. Because like, everything that I was looking at was like, well, sRGB is very limited. And as 3D artists were taught, like, well, you're rendering out a linear EXR. All the data is there. So why would this matter? And, and I got that question a lot as I started like tweeting out stuff and like showing people my befores and afters and all that sort of thing. And tell me if I'm wrong, but so when you're, when you're rendering in, let's say uh, Cinema 4D, you're, you're working and you're rendering in sRGB color space. Yeah, you're working in a limited palette. Right, us. that's exactly it. That's my point. It's like, I think most people don't understand that that underlying palette is limited. It's based on what was displayable by a CRT monitor. And Correct. Whatever exactly. You're... Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, okay, because everybody, I think when people think of like, oh, it's floating point. It's it's like all the data is there. I'm running out an EXR. It's like, it's... You, it's... Yeah, you are maintaining all the latitude. But Correct. The, the colors that you allowed it to calculate in your scene were handicapped at the range of sRGB perfectly way to put that thank you very much that's exactly what i was trying to convey to the people and i think that's that's the thing to, to come away from uh from a, learning about aces is that it's not that you can't make good looking stuff in srgb people have been doing it for a really long time and there's plenty of stuff out there that i mean it, it's totally fine like if that's if you don't think aces is going to help your work at all then feel free to ignore it even though I truly believe that everybody should be working in ACES, especially after playing with it for a while. But, okay, so we've, we've sort of established that ACES is an ultra-wide gamut. It's also linear. It's also high dynamic range. Uh, it's also a standardization so that you can input and output and, and get sort of predictable results. And the question that I have for you, Jeremy, is like, okay, I understand the benefits of working in ACES from a CG perspective, because what this is going to give me is a wider color gamut, which in turn, the results are, uh, my stuff just looks more realistic. And we'll get into the ins and outs of it in a minute. But the bottom line difference is that I'm going to get more predictable film-like response. I'm going to get better looking color. I'm going to get a little bit more realism in, in the way that light bounces around. I would say a lot more realism. I can crank my light values up into like real world type settings and it's going to react more uh, favorably. Like yeah. if you have an indoor shot, you're pushing the light, the sunlight through your, your office window and CG and you know, you can just crank that sun up and it's going to th send that bounce lights going to just really shine off the walls and whatnot. So I understand the benefits of, of working in this wide gamut in CG. But when you're working, you do, you're a colorist, you're doing a lot of like color work on commercial work on like commercials and short films and docs and things like that. What, what's the benefit of ACEs to that sort of workflow? Uh, there's a few, it's sort of complicated because it's not widely adopted outside of like the film and TV industry. Like you have to transform things to go into ACEs. So there's not a transform for everything yet, but for most main major like camera manufacturers, there are. Right. So previously it's just been kind of the wild west in our industry. And, you know, 
different shops have their way of working and there's all these different formats and if you shoot Arri Alexa they have their LUT that's like the manufacturer's engineers transform to get to Rec 709 and Red has its own like a bunch of different flavors and ways to work with it and it's just you know there's a lot of different ways to do things yeah i think that's what's crazy to me is like how now that i understand how aces works and i'm i'm sort of like i wrap my head around it not only from like the cd standpoint but from like just a color video standpoint i'm wondering how the heck you how the heck you handled multiple formats before like, were you just doing everything by hand or how did that work? Brute force. Oh my God. But that's also kind of like the art of being a colorist is is kind of is doing that. Like most of the stuff that people might think the lot that's from the manufacturer is the way that you should use the footage. But that's just kind of like a recommended transform to get their wide capture format into a viewable space. Right. Many colorists, like professional colorists, wouldn't use that transform they would do it by hand because you you're locking yourself in if you use the preset transform it's a fine way to go and there's a lot you can do but if you're just kind of sculpting the signal by hand uh you might want to start with just log and adjust it just with your curves to begin with or whatever and and get it into uh you know a nice looking viewable space by hand so you but you've started playing around in aces and how do you how do you like that compared to doing it that way where you were like pushing and pulling it by hand from log it's really cool if you have a bunch of different formats because there's a transform been designed to move them all into the aces world and so suddenly things kind of automatically all look more alike their starting point is like standardized Mm -hmm. and so you have to spend less time up front like massaging things and and part of it's just the difference of working scene referred versus display referred meaning your environment that you're working in is converting the image versus you manually doing it essentially yeah let's rewind that back because i feel like that's something that i think is gonna uh, be hard to understand especially on a podcast without visual aids but sure yeah so what you're talking about essentially is like when you're working in a program that program could have a LUT on top of the the view right so yeah. you're looking at it uh through a viewer that has a output device transform and i'm going to get into what those things mean in a second because i think that's important to talk about or you're out you're basically applying that output at the end of your comp or at the end of your grade is that sort of what you mean yeah essentially it's partly just whether you are doing that on every piece of the thing you're working on or Mm -hmm. if your program is just kind of doing it for you and that's what resolve does right it can you it's up to you how you want to work so working in a color managed environment is aces that's what aces is in resolve versus like if you just open up resolve in default mode it's just in it's it's not doing color management for you you do everything individually you can put a LUT on or a color transform or whatever uh they have their own color managed space davinci yrgb mm-hmm. and then they also have aces which now is a thing that makes a lot of sense to work in not necessarily for every job but it gives you automatically sort of a more filmic space to work in it's kind of a joy to move the image around in a high dynamic range linear space yeah yeah it is <laughs> it behaves more filmically yeah that's one thing i noticed uh, um mike did you did you play with it in uh what, were you testing it or were you, did you just do the research and write the article or did you actually fool around with it 
Uh, I fooled around with it just a little bit. Like uh, the, the, the original piece I wrote was more of like a, a research uh, to, to help people get into it. Like I, I won't pretend that I'm a, a colorist or anything like that. Um, but for me, the, the, the thing that really got me into learning ACEs um, wasn't really the uh, post-production stuff. It was the uh, actual production because what, what enticed me to learn this was uh, all the different image captures. So I think what's cool about ACEs is that it, is that it really helps blend the live action and VFX worlds um, pretty seamlessly now because a lot of the stuff that's being captured are shot on completely different cameras. And like Jeremy said, they all have their different logs. They have their own proprietary software. And so my challenge as not a colorist was always just trying to match footage when I was editing. Mm -hmm. And so when you're moving into learning aces, you're essentially trying to put all of your imagery, everything into the same space. So it all just works together and you're not having to like do a ton of prep work in advance where it's like, well, first I got to match the looks of these cameras and do all this. You're now just in the same space so you can move from software to software. And that's kind of really what, what first got me into aces. Yeah. That's what, that's one of the coolest parts about it, I think. And I think I just wanted to break down for the audience really quickly, sort of like a high level idea of how, it works. So you have what's called uh, IDTs and ODTs, which IDT stands for input device transform. And the ODT stands for output device transform. So the whole idea behind ACEs is to get things in and out of ACEs. And the beauty of it is once you're in it, you're in a an environment that is completely predictable. And you can bring in any of these formats from a camera, from a CG render, and they're all going to sit in the right space. And then you can just choose, okay, well, where are we going out to? Are we going out to film? Okay, well, we're going to use our output device transform for film. We're going to go out to the internet? Okay, we're going to use an output device transform for sRGB. And it's it's sort of this like great workflow. And what I've really enjoyed about it is that it's you know it's complicated but once you see it in practice it's really not that complicated it's one of those things like it's a scary word and then you kind of get into it and you're like oh no this just this makes total sense yeah i think it helped me kind of understand it to know about things more historically like aces is really intended to be the future digital replacement of film right i don't even have to think about all this stuff because it's just film was the format Right. And you had to know how to like invert stuff from film to make it a negative or to go to a print. And you had in the early days, you know, doing CG stuff, you like film lots were needed because you needed to see how it was going to react when it hit the film curve. Right. Not not to try and make something look filmic for a, a digital release. Yeah, that's an important distinction to make. Everything was going back to film and it was being projected and film has a natural response curve. And when you're working in a digital medium, I think a lot of people's thoughts are, well, oh, you know, I, I, I want to put a filmic response curve on it so that it looks like it's shot on film. Well, those were actually created so that you could see what it was going to look like when it went back to film. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And the, the Cineon and Log, this was all stuff to deal with film right? And, and scanning and digitizing film to work with it for the visual effects industry. Yep. Uh, I think it's it's probably a good idea to mention that for those of you out there that um, 
maybe this is your first time listening to the show. We are not visual effects artists, and we, at least I'm speaking for myself, I've never worked on uh, anything that went back to film. I've always worked as a commercial artist doing 3D animation. So a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about is kind of from that perspective and from like a motion design perspective. The, the reason we're talking about it now is it this is still something very new to this industry, specifically motion design, because right. even like uh, the ACES workflow, you know, most of the popular third party renderers aren't even really supporting ACES yet. Like you can't really use uh, like an ACES color space in Octane or Redshift or anything like that yet. I think Arnold Arnold does, but I'm not sure about the the others. Yeah, in my research, I I found that um, Arnold does, and I think it's predominantly it's probably because they just do a lot of feature film work. So imagine it was something that they had to figure out. Um, I th- Redshift supports the output device transforms through Open Color IO, but that's not really ACES. That's just applying what it's, it's like applying a um an aces tone map to your your render it's not really you're not working in a wide color gamut and octane actually what's interesting about octane is it's a spectral renderer so it doesn't have a lot of the same uh restrictions as a non-spectral renderer does so it naturally already does some of the things that aces does uh just given the fact that that it's a spectral renderer and it sees color as wavelengths and not as RGB values. So it's it's definitely, um, I think they, they are probably going to support it as well, but I'm not sure when. But yeah, I've been playing with it in Arnold and I've noticed a significant difference uh, from what I how I worked before and how I'm working now in ACES. It looks better. It reacts more like film. I feel like I'm getting a good looking image much faster. Not the not the render is not faster, but I'm I'm getting something that I like faster. And when I started messing with it, I was sending it out on I was sending some before and afters on Twitter and I sent some over uh to you Mike and and you Jeremy and I started like getting excited. And um quite a few people <laughs> were getting kind of defensive on Twitter. And I want to talk about that because I think there's this, I think there's this like attitude around things that like people are, uh, this is a strange subject. So I had a few people say, well, you know, you're not thinking about this right, or this is just tone mapping, or you could do this with tone mapping. And, you know, I was doing the research. I wanted to find out if I was maybe I was just thinking about this wrong or maybe it is just like tone mapping. So I reached out to Chris Brehan. I reached out to the folks at Arnold and I asked him these questions and I said, you know, is this just, is this just basically tone mapping or what is this? And they explained it to me exactly like, uh, like we've been talking about and, and it's not tone mapping. And I think it's important to mention that tone mapping is good. Like at the end of the day, an sRGB render without any tone mapping is probably not going to be great. Um, so tone mapping is definitely a good thing to do. It's just difficult to recreate uh, that tone mapping when you're bringing it into a comp or you're passing it off to a colorist or another compositor. If that tone mapping uh, isn't something that they can recreate and it's baked into your render and you're trying to put that into a background plate, well, now you've got this difference because 
the colorist or the compositor isn't going to know what that tone mapping was doing to your 3D render that you're trying to comp into the shot. So that's good in some situations. The tone mapping idea is good, but in practice, it it's gets a little messy. Standard, yeah, it's not a standard. Very, thank you. Basically, tone mapping is about dynamic range and extended range of exposure, essentially, in the highlights. Like if you're working in a linear space, it's you have massive dynamic range far beyond what your delivery format or your display can see. Mm -hmm. And tone mapping is about how you fit that image into your display. So it has to be scaled down. And so the nice expensive look of like an airy camera or film or something like that is because it has extended highlight dynamic range, not clipping. Cheapo cameras clip everything in the highlights and it looks cheap and video-y. And that's right. like your eyes don't work that way. Your eyes have the widest dynamic range. Even my eyes, Jeremy? Well, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> oh, good. I'll just close my left eye. <laughs> but so tone mapping is great aesthetically. It's just there's there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Aces just does it the aces way. And so if you work in aces, it will just be, it'll look the same for everyone and work the same. Yeah. So you can do tone mapping in you know whatever way you want, but it just doesn't translate. And if you're handing the footage to someone else or moving it to a different program, it's going to be up to you to figure out and make that work. Whereas if you work in Aces, it's just it's just there everywhere. Yeah, yeah and it no. works. Yeah, and it works, man. Let me tell you, I've been playing around with it, and uh, I was taking some log C footage that that Todd shot, and and like basically seeing if I could bring this this log footage into Arnold as a background plate and put like a 3D object in there and then render that out and then composite it in Fusion in Aces and have everything just work. And it did. It was like, it was pretty painless. I think I maybe f screwed up a couple output transform settings, but then I figured it out and it made perfect sense. Like once you see it and like it's it's working, you immediately get the benefits of just the workflow side of aces, not even just like the look, but like how, how easy it is to like, okay, I'm, what's it's basically like a, those chambers, you know, when, when somebody's like in a movie and they're like infected and they've, they're, they've got them in quarantine and there's like that little hallway where you walk in and the door shuts and then all the air gets sucked out and they like get deloused and then they walk out the other side. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think of Aces as like that hallway. Like it's the airlock. It's, yeah, like you bring in whatever stuff and you like they're in that little airlock and they're in oh, Aces and then it goes out and it's in the world. Right, right. I don't know. Maybe that's just my strange way of thinking about it. I, I get that. I, I think, yeah, it makes it like it's harder to break stuff once you're in the Aces workflow. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I was noticing that too. Like I was bringing the exposure up on on the HDRI that was feeding into this, into this, uh, Arnold render. And it was like, it looked like I was blowing out, you know, my, my, uh, like I was looking through a camera and just like bringing the exposure way up. Right. It's crazy. There was, uh, in this, in this, um, Chris Brehan, uh, online book, I guess you'd call it. He has a section in here that I wanted to talk about because I think it's, it's really, it's going to, People will be able to visualize this very well, I think. So I'm going to just read a passage from this. He writes, 
Something that really hit me when I arrived at Animal Logic in 2016 was their range of colors. The artists were working on a beautiful and very saturated movie called Lego Batman. It was my first day, and I saw this shot on a screen. He has he shows this shot. It's a really saturated red shot of a Lego monster like coming at the screen. It's like beautiful colors. He goes on. I really thought to myself, wow, this looks good. How did they get these crazy colors? The range really seemed wider than illumination, and I realized later it was due to aces. So if you've seen the Lego movies, then you know what he's talking about here. This the movie the movies are like wildly saturated and just look so vibrant that they almost like hurt your eyes. Right. And I never thought about it. Like, did you guys ever? Th- I mean, that's just not something that you think about. You're just like, it, oh, that's it's some- something. It, it's something that didn't really translate to me in the film until um, you start uh, interacting with the real characters, and then you're kind of that. It's kind of what what Animal Logic has done with the Lego movies is really kind of changed the whole animation world and the way they use aces because they've standardized it for animation. But if you think of it. It's the same standards are used in all of the Marvel movies where you're doing heavy VFX, comping real characters, things like that. There's there's a few scenes at the end of the first Lego movie when like Will Ferrell and all of them start coming into the world and you're looking around and then you realize like, oh, yeah, I forgot like Legos are really colorful. Like I forgot this is what it really looked like. And what they were able to do is really translate that so well of bringing that real world feel into the animated portions of the film. And when you look at things like the highlights on the characters or the sun and all that stuff, like it, it really just, it brings such life to the entire environment. Yeah. And I, I started pushing colors when, as soon as I started messing around with aces, like the first thing I did was like make a foggy red light and a foggy blue light and like cranked them up as high as I could. Well, not as high as I could, but pretty freaking high. And it's crazy how you're able to get it to look like that, this still from uh, from the site, this Lego movie still. And I would flip it back to sRGB and it would completely fall apart. Like it could not handle um, handle it at all. The, uh, the colors didn't bleed properly. You get like a haloing effect around the intense parts of the light. And it, it sort of like flips a switch in your brain and you're like, oh, I've been looking at everything wrong. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, Jeremy, do you think that everybody should be using aces or do you think that what's your take on, on, on that, on this idea of like, have we been looking at it wrong? I would say everyone should give it a try. I, I think that it's a little complicated, at least in CG, I imagine, you know, you have to, you can have to change your workflow a bit. So I think it's, you know, there's a couple of hurdles basically just to begin working in aces, but you literally mathematically have a larger color space to work with and a team of people have worked on how to intelligently translate that into your view space which is just gonna give you better results right you can definitely make stuff look great in srgb it's been done a million times but i think you probably have to work a little harder in some situations like you saw in some of your tests that you shared with me in a really basic like neutral color scene with not a lot of color going on it's not immediately obvious the benefits of aces right that's a good point 
That's a really good point. So I think you, in a lot of situations, you're not like, you're not going to see a massive difference. But on once you start working near the edges of your, particularly your color space, that's where you realize that what you've been working in, it's very limited and it will fall apart in the edges. And that's the, the places in the past where you are fixing it in the comp and doing a lot more stuff to like make it look good manually by hand at the end of the line. Whereas Ace is, is just like you're unrestricted. That's a great point. So my question to both of you is like, do you think that artists, I'm speaking specifically about 3D renders, and um, do you think that uh, because we, we work or we have been working in a limited color space, we you don't see a lot of people pushing those boundaries because it wasn't anything that ever looked good or it required a lot of work, like you said, at the end of the line. Um, do you think that, it, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, do people, did they just not go that far with the saturation and the, and the intensity and all that sort of thing because it just it couldn't do it? And now- Because it looks bad? Yeah, because now I feel like you, you sort of do. You like work with this like restriction that you don't even know you have. You just think that that's the limit. You're like, oh, I just can't go this saturated. I can't go this bright or because right. it, it's going to, and I guess that's the limit. So I guess I'll just tone it down. But creatively, I feel like now if you open up this gamut and you give people the opportunity to do really crazy, saturated, bright stuff, and it's not just, that's not the only benefits, by the way, but it is, is it's the most apparent, I guess. I bet we're going to see a lot more crazy, saturated stuff, right? Yeah, I would think you just kind of have more freedom and it will just work as opposed to if you're like, well, I'm doing this scene and it needs to be like super red. Right. Where in the past you might have been like, all right, well, it's, if we go too red on this light, it starts to look crappy and it breaks here on this highlight. And you're like, all right, we'll you know, do this and this in the comp and then get it there. Right. But in Ace's, you can be like, well, let's crank, crank the red in the lights and it looks good. You also have to take into account, and this is something that you know each artist considering a move to Ace's, it, it may or may not be worth it for you based on where your deliverables are going. So essentially, if you're just building 3D renders for Instagram or like web stuff, is this probably the right thing for you? No, probably not. Like it's... I don't uh, know. I might argue against that. You think so? I would say you don't need it. But yeah. It might help you like creatively. But I, I feel like the thing about it is it's the future. Like Aces is coming. And you, <laughs> you better get on board. It's going to roll you like, over. HDR is the future and ACES has been working to be the standard and everything that's being created on a very large scale today is pretty much now happening in ACES. Right. Movies and things for Netflix, everything. It's, it's like the archival format for the future where it makes it easy if you're going to different formats, you're working and your view space is for broadcast, Rec 709, and they're like, well, we also need to do it for the theater. You just change your output to p3 and you're done yeah, yeah that's that just... was what i was going to recommend was or if you are working where you have to send deliverables for for television for theaters for print or wherever like it's nice to have that range and you can optimize your renders for whatever medium but it, it is nice to have that but you know it's definitely worth learning it's definitely worth at least diving in and experimenting with 
I th- I would say that everybody listening that's using a renderer that that doesn't fully support it, go and hassle your render manufacturer for them to support it so that you can play with it and see see if it's something that would benefit you. For the, getting back to like the Instagram sort of like person that's outputting that way, I would say that, you know, if you're getting what you like now, that's totally fine, but I I, th- I do think that this is going to be something that, like Jeremy said, it's coming and it's going to be the new standard. So you might as well try to figure it out. And I think you can benefit from it creatively. I think you're going to be able to get more out of your render with less work. Uh, you're going to be able to use more realistic light settings and intensities that you wouldn't use before. You're going to be able to crank that light way brighter than you used to, and it's not going to fall apart. Um, and I think that once you use it you can't like sort of unsee it and like it's hard for me to now go back into like a strictly srgb workflow and not feel somewhat restricted but you like everybody said you know we've been saying it for this entire podcast you can still make good stuff like obviously like it's not like everything sucks now you know like it's still but yeah i I do think that uh at, at the bare minimum Tone mapping is 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 something that I think a lot of people already do. And if you don't, you know, at the bare minimum, if your render doesn't support, if your renderer doesn't support ACES yet, the least you can do is figure out a tone mapping solution to get a, a, a more, um, how do I put this, Jeremy? Uh, you put it more dynamic range. Yeah, basically. like a, a, a better a better transformation of dynamic range than just strictly sRGB 2.2. Basically, tastier highlights Right. what it comes right. down to. Yeah, I think a lot of the tone mappers just basically remap the highlights and desaturate them, and sometimes that works. But you it's fine, and it can. And I'm going to show in my video that I'm making for for Grayscale Gorilla Plus how tone mapping works and on this footage that I made, and it looks good. But if you push it, it just can't handle it because ultimately you're still pushing a uh, sRGB gamut around. And it just can't, it just can't maintain the vibrancy. It starts to desaturate pretty aggressively the highlights. Are there other larger color spaces to work in in CG outside of sRGB? You know, I don't know. Um, That's a great question. This is the first one that I've sort of even heard about. Um, Typically, uh, the way that Arnold works is well first of all let's start way back in the, in the the base application cinema 4d uh is an srgb it's an srgb right there's no open color io supported at the native level of cinema which i hope hope will change so arnold does it through their color management where you uh use open color io which is an open color standard for i guess dealing with different color spaces I need to probably do more research on that, but yeah. And so through OpenColor.io, you can actually load ACES configuration files and work in ACES in Arnold. Uh, Redshift does not support OpenColor.io uh, color spaces. It supports only OpenColor.io output device transforms. And uh, as far as I know, at the time of making this podcast, Octane doesn't do, do either of those things, I don't believe. But yeah. Those are the only ones that I know of, but who knows? Maybe there's ones out there that I don't know. It's interesting. I think it, it, so, I mean, it seems like you can't work in ACES everywhere yet. No. It's being increasingly adopted. 
Yeah, from what I understand, uh, it's really hard to work in Aces with like After Effects or even Photoshop. Right. Uh, just because their whole color management thing is already super confusing. Um, yeah. But in Nuke and in Fusion, it's pretty easy because those programs don't really care about the programs. What, what did you call it when a pro, uh, it's like a, a view space? Is that what you're saying? Scene refers referred versus display referred. Yes. So yeah. they don't care about scene referred. I think I'm saying this right. And I apologize if I'm not, but cause they're just like, Oh, your footage is here. And then you just throw in an open color IO transform and there you go. That I believe is working display referred. Right. Whereas, Working scene referred mean you change the color space for the whole application, and then everything okay. So works. After Effects and, and Photoshop would be called display referred. Display referred, I believe. Okay, yeah. so if it's like, hey, here's the footage you brought in, and they're like, how do you want to display it? Then and you have to like figure out. So that's display referred. Yeah. Okay. So you're like, okay, I need to put see. A it's complicated, but we're yeah. working through it. Yeah, we're it, working through it. I mean, it's Mike's already lost interest. He's already. <laughs> Checking his uh, email. We've made this uh, a love letter to Aces, but it's, it's definitely you know it takes some some learning and reading to to dive into. Yeah, and ultimately, I want I don't want people to think that it's you know you don't have to be a scientist to understand it. You don't have to be a scientist to use it. I'm not a scientist. I don't consider myself to be uh, the most technically. Uh, I'm not a super technical person as much as, you know, I'd like to think I am sometimes I'm not. So for me, learning this was pretty difficult and I didn't even get into the science, the color science behind it. Cause that's like way over my head. But from a use case, I wanted to see if it was useful for me as an artist to use it or understand it. And the answer for me was yes on both of those things. So do you think that you're, you, now that you've played with it and you've seen the benefits of it, uh, Jeremy, will you recommend it to your clients? Will you work in it? Will you try to be a, uh, uh, an evangelist of aces? Uh, in general, yes. I, for me, I can being sort of an Island as the colorist, I can often, if I want to work in it, I could, and it doesn't matter if the people delivering to me did work in it. Right particularly if it's just, if I'm just receiving footage and edit, uh, then it's, then it's up to me if I want to work in it. And there's a number of jobs where it could be beneficial. If I'm getting a bunch of different formats that all have transforms already ready for them. Yeah. Let me put it for instance. Yeah. So what if you got, okay, let's just, let me put together some crazy stuff. Well, I don't know much about these formats, so it won't be too crazy. Uh, somebody shot something on, let's say, red. So it's like uh, red log. And um, let's say you got an RE log C piece of footage. Then you got like a Canon 5D uh, piece of footage. And um, you're going to, you, you need to grade. The, this entire sequence is like all intercut, different formats, and it's a mess. Is this, is this the ultimate time to use ACES? Uh, it could definitely be handy, especially on a longer format piece. If like, if I'm getting the airy and the red stuff, if it's raw, then resolve already knows what, where it's coming from. It's got the mm -hmm. metadata in it. So if I just turn on aces, it, it, it comes in looking very similar. 
Oh, that's nice. What if you need to go out to like three different places? Like, let's say your delivery, you got a delivery that's going to go, they need, it's a, let's say it's a Instagram story, and then they're going to also push it to HDR TV, and then they may even use it in a feature film. You would have a huge benefit in being in ACES because you could essentially, all you'd have to change is your output device transform. Right. That's the point I was trying to get to. And I think that's really cool. And, but from a compositing of like CG elements perspective, feel free, either of you chime in on this one. The, I saw a big benefit in working in ACES when you are working with a CG element with live action that needs to go back into a comp pipeline or, or a color pipeline. Because what, at least in my experience, like that, without aces is always kind of a crapshoot like you're you're converting log to linear or you're going linear to srgb or sorry log to srgb or rec 709 then you're bringing it in and like doing all your cg on it and then it's sort of like it's not a very efficient or uh what's the word i'm looking for It, it it works i mean we've been doing it for years but it pretty much falls in the lap of the compositor right figure everything out yeah 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 like tell me more about that i mean that's the commercial workflow i feel like for the most part unless you're a giant shop it's like how how's the plate being transformed to view the plate's gonna most likely come from somewhere where it's in some sort of log space it's just i mean that's kind of the whole reason for aces right like for example if you were doing a job with red footage it's often difficult to know unless someone has decided we're like how are we viewing this there's two different color sciences currently for red uh if we're getting red raw we need to so which is it ipp2 is it is there <laughs> dragon key color I, ipp2 <laughs> Sounds there's like all these somebody has to go to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's what it stands for. <laughs> I um, have to go PP2 <laughs> is the format we're shooting in. I don't know what that acronym stands for. Um, but point being, like, it'll look some way, however the editor brought it in, in, in the rough cut, that's like, I don't know what they've been looking at. Then if you're going to do CG on top of that, it's like you have to decide what your footage looks like right? before you start doing that. Or you try and work over a log. I don't know, you work in log maybe? But that's not normally a thing that happens in commercial workflow. Yeah. No, I've never had, I've never done 3D in log. I've always had to like, actually, if you go way, way back before really knew much about any of the stuff, we would be like, oh, can you just like color it first? Exactly. And and then give us the footage. Right. And then, you know, you're trying to match it. Who knows what they did to the image and color? Like they could have completely changed the, uh, the entire how light works and you know, hello crush the shadows these lights over here this highlight is going to be green but the light over there was red and it becomes really hard to figure out what the hell you're doing exactly whoever's at the end of the line it rolls downhill it sure does the com the compositor always gets stuck <laughs> yeah they're like okay i've got this plate and i've got to match <laughs> this thing here's my render here's the plate make it work and you know that's the art of compositing and you know stuff can look great so is aces going to put compositors out of business definitely not i just want to recap how you guys are going to use aces or not use aces sounds like jeremy you're into it if the job benefits from it but 
you're probably going to run into more people not understanding what it is than than the inverse of that. Pretty much, I don't think I've worked with one client who knows anything about it. And Am I the first person to bring it up to you? Um, I've read a lot about it. You're supposed to previously, say yes. uh, but uh, you're the first person who has like shown me renders done in Aces. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Feather in my cap. <laughs> I've talked to a couple of places I've worked with, like grading elements that are going into like more motion graphics job with 3D and stuff like that. Uh, none of them are talking about Aces currently, hmm. but I've seen a few cases where I think it could be handy for them. For me, I kind of, I have the luxury of being like, oh, I'm going to do this job in Aces. Right. And, and, you know, no one will know, but it might make my life easier. All right, so let's just do a quick summary here because I, I I know we we talked about a lot of stuff and um I really you know listening to a podcast is really probably not the best way to learn about aces because it's really not something that you can fully grasp purely by audio. So I highly recommend checking out all of the notes that we're going to put uh, in this podcast with links to all these articles we've talked about and videos and whatnot. And really go on a little journey for yourself and, and see if it's something that your work would benefit from. And if it is, great. Uh, if your renderer doesn't support it, make sure you let them know that you wish it did. And hopefully we can get the ACES standard implemented everywhere so that everybody can benefit from all the awesome things that it has to offer. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to play around more with it and put out this this video over on Grayscale Gorilla Plus and hopefully shed some light on this uh, kind of weird subject. Yeah, I would say it's easy to be, you know, if you're busy in production, post-production, it's easy to stay on the treadmill and work the way you've been working. But if you are interested in the future of post-production, you should, you should read up on ACES. 100% agree. There you have it, folks. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Mike, I always love talking to you. I love talking to you too, buddy. I'll, <laughs> I'll go start typing up all those show notes for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, everybody. Remember to leave us a, a comment uh, and a review um, if you feel so inclined. If there's a topic that you think we should be covering that we haven't yet, reach out to us and we will try our best to put a show together around that topic. All right, that about wraps it up. Everybody have a great day and we will see you on the next Grayscale Gorilla Podcast.